politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, our property, and our right to remain human. If that is your goal, a tall order and one, this is your place. See our podcast, book it, subscribe on iTunes, give us a five-star rating. This is where it's at. We also have a new, exciting channel C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. You guys should use it. Um, You know, I don't know if I'm going to get to my whole stack of data and just news stories today. So this is where you find my kind of hour to hour when I'm in front of my computer uh, dissemination of information. But today I want to speak thematically and have a special congressional candidate on as well. Are we pointing our ship in the right direction? We all seem to be just kind of floating around in the water, different types of sailboats. And this week, I feel like most people are on message in the sense I've been doing a lot of, obviously, book interviews with the rise of the Fourth Reich coming out, and people get it now. Wow, okay, with the Trump raid, the FBI, this is not just about the economy, this is about, well, the rise of the Fourth Reich. But... People still get distracted. Where is it we want to take this? What is the enemy? What are they doing to us? Where is our destination? And point it there, put a motor on, and relentlessly get there. Okay, you have to understand what this is about. Don't get distracted. It's not just about Trump. You know, I hear like, oh, this is all about a coup against Trump. No, this is actually internationally. I'll tell you what this is about. This is a piece of it. Obviously, they felt Trump was in the way, but it's about a lot more than him, and the solution is about a lot more than a presidential election, the midterm elections, and that's what our book is all about. Again, still available at trialsandexecution.com, or you just Google it for now on Amazon before they take it down. Make sure you download at trialsandexecution.com the first chapter, because you know as we wait for the book to come out and, and get published... This is pre-orders. This is available right away. The best synopsis out there of COVID fascism and what we're up against. It's uh, about 12,000 words. um, And even that's not a lot to describe what it is, but we try. Um, So that's where it is. Now, folks, as always, part of how we're going to evacuate ourselves is by parallel economies. I really think we need to go through each vital good and service and see how we could find a patriot who sells that service, that that good, and patronize that person and, and stop basically empowering those who are killing us. Um, one way we could do this is with cell phone service. It's a biggie that everyone seems to need. Patriot Mobile is America's only, only Christian conservative mobile phone provider. Um, you don't have to sacrifice anything. They have the same coverage, same towers. Switch them. You could keep your phone number. Stop with the the, the spy agents at Verizon and T-Mobile, who, by the way, admitted that they're reading your text messages. And people like me, you can imagine, uh, especially after putting out the Fourth Reich, they're going to be coming after me. So here's the difference. Not only are you not funding those who hate you, but they actually affirmatively believe in the sanctity of life, religious freedom, all freedoms, Second Amendment. So go to patriotmobile.com slash CR, call 972-PATRIOT, offer code CR for free activation. Again, it's patriotmobile.com slash CR. If you're a veteran or first responder, please let them know because you will get a special discount. Again, come join the movement today and stop funding those who hate you. So folks, what are we up against? I think it's succinctly stated by a, one of our chief enemies, Yuval Harari. That's Klaus Schwab's chief advisor and lawyer. In order to deal with global issues, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's climate change, we cooperate with other nations because obviously we can't solve this problem on strictly a national level. That's important to understand. Okay, this is global. It's coordinated. That's what they say. It's coordinated through every country's government. It's coordinated through every public-private partnership with the corporate world, the media world, the tech world, the med- medical world. 
and it is done with insane technology. I mean, Klaus Schwab called yesterday, I'm sure a lot of you saw that, for artificial intelligence to be used to get better censorship than what Twitter and Facebook are already doing. That's what we're up against. It's the Fourth Reich. It's global, not national. It's public and private, and it's a degree of technology that you can't escape. That's what we're up against. They pick your issue. That's what they're going to use. You know, I, I said, if you, if you look up, you can go to the IRS's page. The IRS actually has an office they created, I believe, in 2018, fairly recently, the Joint Chiefs of Global Tax Enforcement. So you know how you have, like, the Joint Chiefs of the military? So the Joint Chiefs of Global Tax Enforcement. Because they want to make sure they could extend that arm everywhere. That's what this is all about. So the way to fight glo globalism is with localism, making yourself ungovernable at a local and state level and then growing the number of localities that are like that. Start out with the super majority areas that voted for Trump. Okay, if you look at a map, does the Republican representation reflect that? And the answer is in 99% of the cases, it does not. And that's what needs to change. And those are the set of marching orders we lay out at the end of the book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial so that it never happens again. And that is my destination, that lighthouse in the boat. And I'm going to point it as accurately to that destination as I can. And I'm going to turn the motor on. And I'm going to paddle at the same time as rigorously as I can to get there. And we need everyone doing that. Okay, localism. Ultimately, where this needs to go, in my view, with state interposition, right? We've been talking about this week. States should just say the FBI, IRS, ATF, they cannot operate in the state under these parameters. At a federal level, I think we just need to abolish the FBI. But, you know, again, I don't think Republicans are going to ever do that. But states right now, without an election, enough states have the power to do that. And again, we're going to have uh, Anthony Sabatini on running for Congress. He is running on just that. He is calling on the state of Florida to do just that, that interposition. They could do this on every issue. They could interpose against federal tyranny. And again, what we've learned throughout history, for better or for worse, is you cannot control people who don't want to be controlled at a local level. In other words, if the locals are united, the people, the culture, the NGOs, and the political representation, this is what we got to work on, you cannot really govern them. Okay? You cannot forcefully control them. The founders understood this. Why doesn't that happen? It doesn't happen. The single biggest reason is the money. State, all these Republican state legislators love money. And they love the federal money. And that's why they are dependent on the federal government. I want to develop this point throughout the, the year. But the biggest thing that does need to happen is states need to start directing their treasuries to start collecting the withholdings on their own and blocking the federal government and using that as leverage. Again, that's the, the, the direction. That's the lighthouse. Now, there's a lot of important smaller things that they can and need to be doing, as we've been calling, to lead to that point. But that is ultimately what is going to take away the leverage. Now, still the federal government has the printing presses, but at least that's a significant enough of revenue because right now the states count on that. And part of the problem is the red states like to say we have low taxes. So ironically, they they um and I'm all for low taxes, but they almost disarm themselves and then they rely on the feds. So they have low state taxes. So most of the taxes are from the feds and then the printing money is from the feds and they rely upon that. And that addiction is, in my view, the single biggest reason why red states aren't really red. It all gets back to the money. We saw it with COVID. And it's true with a lot of things, with law enforcement grants too, which is why they don't interpose against DHS, ATF, FBI, IRS. That is ultimately what needs to happen. We need to find a way of achieving that whole or in part. That is what needs to happen. It's all about the money.
That's where the leverage is. And that's why I think it's the dumbest thing when states have a surplus because they have all the federal funding to be like, we're going to give another tax cut. Taxes are relatively low in red states, at least the state burden, most, most states. Sometimes you do have high real estate taxes or something that needs to be done about that state like Texas. But in general, the tax burden is lower than any time in history in any other country, really, around the world. We have the lowest taxes you could have or we have had, we have the most guns and we have the fewest abortions now in the red states. And notice all they'll talk about is tax cuts, abortion, and guns. That's, that's not where it's at. We have the least freedom. We have transhumanism. Okay? In some of these cities in these red states, your kid is going to school with his breathing holes covered in a bacteria-disseminating mask, Chinese face diaper, for eight hours a day but your taxes are low, you have all the guns you want, and now the abortion clinics were chased out of the state. So we got to move off of that. If anything, we need more state money. I'm not saying we should raise taxes. I'm just saying you want to build up your institutions to fight back because we're not going to have no government. I'm just saying it's not going to happen. We don't have that. The best you can do is use state governments to interpose against the feds. And again, I want to develop that thesis over time Using localism to combat globalism. Um, First, folks, I am creeped out by how long I did not have a VPN on my computer. And I didn't go to ExpressVPN in particular until early last year when they became a sponsor. And I was like, oh, so you mean everything I do is being spied on and all my strategies with state legislators and people, you know, to try to strategize against the Fourth Reich oh, it's being monitored by the Fourth Reich and their buddies at Big Tech. It is stupid not to wear a mask. No, I don't mean the Chinese uh, face diaper on your face. I mean ExpressVPN's um, anonymized web browsing protection and really protects all of your network data by making your IP address totally encrypted, your, your, your data is encrypted, one tap of the button. I'm I'm bad at tech. I'm like always. I, I panic. Oh gosh, I gotta install a new thing. But uh, I, I usually get my 12 year old to do it. Um, but but by the way, uh, you know some of you who are, who are using my Telegram channel, C19 Truth Bombs. I didn't realize I didn't have comments turned on. I didn't mean to be rude about it. I didn't know how to do it. They don't make it so easy to do it. But I you know comments are done so you could network with people and whatever. Um, but anyway, ExpressVPN, one tap of the button, you get um, one subscription could be used for up to five devices in your home. So again, when your phone carrier tracks you, you have to understand that is not okay. Don't make it okay. You can either keep letting them cash in on your visit and share it with the government or go to expressvpn.com conservative to get the same VPN I use. Take back your online privacy today and get use my link to get an extra three months free. So make sure you use that expressvpn.com slash conservative, expressvpn.com slash conservative. Stop funding those who hate us and enable the Fourth Reich. Okay, so the other thing I just wanted to go through, again, as we, we're going to interview one of the best congressional candidates of the entire uh, 2022 cycle coming up, but... I'm going to revisit an action item I've had that I, I've been talking about for about seven years, and it's grown even truer today. And that is, if you think that you are going to change the Republican Party one by one, election by election, you are utterly insane. We get in, like, zero good governors, maybe one good senator, five to ten good congressmen— and, you know, a few more state legislators each time. And then also we lose some good guys as well. So it's not a net. On net, it's even smaller than that. You will never, ever fix the party this way. I have a plan, like every plan, that in itself is going to take a certain amount of political capital and hill to climb to implement it, that in one election cycle, you could change the party. It is the only way I see to do it. And that is to abolish popular primaries and go towards a town hall style state convention. Utah used to have that. They still do, but they gutted it. Um, But basically, 
where the conventions pick it. If you've noticed, there's an interesting phenomenon that as much as I hate the Republican Party, but the, the state Republican Party officials increasingly are becoming more like us. And even sometimes the chairman. I mean, the chairman of the Texas Republican Party, Matt Rinaldi, he, he's like me. Yet the Texas elected Republicans are terrible. How? Because the difference is you can get involved as an activist. It doesn't cost anything. And in fact, the people that actually give their time are the people who believe in it. The people who get elected, you need money. The population has really grown. Right, a congressional district nowadays would shock our you know, founders. It's like 750,000, 800,000 people. Even a state legislative district, especially a state senate district in a lot of states, still very, very large. There's no money in, 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 in our views. I could tell you that. The money is with Pfizer. The money is with industries. The money is with the Fourth Reich. And those that do business with it. Or those who remain silent at best. That's, that's piece number one. Piece number two is, and this is very important, that you know a lot of people talk about Liz Cheney, how terrible she is. I love Liz Cheney. Now, before you shut me off and think I've gone crazy, let me explain what I mean by that. So I believe, what is it, next Tuesday, you're going to have the Wyoming primary. Liz Cheney is probably going to lose like three to one, literally like you know 60-20. She's going to get crushed. And that's unprecedented for an incumbent to ever have that. But that's going to happen. The question is, why doesn't that happen on every other issue? How is it that you could have a Republican that's in bed with Pfizer, in bed with January 6th, in bed with BLM, in bed with open borders, everything we hate, and that's most of them, and they get reelected and reelected with record majorities, 70-30, 80-20, they crush our people in primaries, in broad daylight, and there's nothing we can do about it. And the answer is, there's a few reasons, but, but the most important reason is because they don't run on who they are. They're not stupid. They don't run and say, this guy is an extremist. Daniel Horowitz is a right-winger. Get him out of here. He's a threat to us. No, they say Daniel Horowitz is really a secret liberal, and... Yada yada, um, Tim Scott is a conservative fighter and he's going to take the fight to Biden. They'll put out some like clever ad and they have the money to do so. It's about money and name ID and they have it. We don't. But they use it not to run on what they're going to do, which is why the industries give them the money they give. It's to run on our views. That's what they do. I've lived this. I've worked primaries. I've tried this. It doesn't work because of this reason. McConnell, he 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 called the bank bailouts the greatest uh, moment of the Senate. I'm paraphrasing. Greatest day in the Senate history or something like that. And he was the floor manager for the bailout bill. He didn't run and say, yeah, the bailouts were awesome and this guy's a jerk for running against the bailouts. This is when that was the big issue. He said his opponent supports bailouts. He just ran ads doing that and that's what they do and i was like i don't know how you combat that okay most people don't get it it's about 25 to 30 percent of the republican primary electorate are savvy enough to understand that the rest they broadly share our values but they don't know the who's who and what's what of politics so it's money and name id that buy it every time we talked about this earlier this year that in the same district, in the same election, they elected Brad Raffersberger, the guy who believes in the stolen election, the Secretary of State of Georgia. But in that same district, they, despite having so much money thrown against her, they have reelected like 80 to 20 Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said the election was stolen. Okay, well, what gives? The answer is both of them are incumbents. <laughs> so they supported them because they have the name ID. And that's what it is. Okay, one worked for us, one worked against us. But usually it works against us because there's very few people like Marjorie Taylor Greene in elected office. And we have a problem getting them in because we don't have money. If you would have the, a state convention, and what that means is in your neighborhood, in your precinct, 
You get together at a town hall, have a precinct 3A, whatever you call it in your neighborhood. Very grassroots. Is this what the founders envision? It's better than direct democracy. It's representative democracy. Go ahead and say, look, I want the best conservative. Like, I'll give you an example. Everyone in my neighborhood came to me in the Maryland primary. There's all these Republicans. They don't know who the best one is, especially the smaller offices. It's very hard to know. I want the best conservative. Who is it? That's what they want to know. So rather than just having the name ID and money win out, you go to the guy, hey, you know, and, uh, you guys listening to the show, you could relate to this in your respective areas. Oh, you're smart. You get it. You, 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 you do this, you know, kind of full time or you really follow it. You're connected. You go to a convention. You represent this district at the convention and you vote at the convention for the best conservative. So rather than having to reach 3 million people, for example, you have to reach 50 savvy party activists at the convention. All that money, name ID, industry money, connections, and lying go out the window. Again, I'm not saying there's no way to game it out, that we're going to win 100% of the time, but right now we win 0% of the time. 1% of the time. This will even up the score. Think about the Texas uh, Republican Party convention. They voted to secede. They voted for a resolution that the, 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 the um, election was stolen. They voted to kick out the homosexual Republican group. You know, that was as hardcore as it gets. Imagine if that crowd was picking the nominee of Senate governor. But no, the same election, Greg Abbott ran away with... Um, over 70% of the vote in the primary against really good alternatives. You would have had that in Idaho? Janice McGeehan would have won 90 to 10. Okay? L let, me, let me accentuate this point by bringing out an example you could all relate to. So Utah, Utah used to have this. And, and Utah, as you well know, has a huge rhino problem. I mean, they're literally Democrats, almost every Republican there. It's terrible. Um, but Utah had a convention where you would stand before a party convention, and that's how you would get the nomination. And they started knocking off, you know, this, this open borders rhino, Chris Cannon. It was last decade it happened. Um, Jason Chaffetz, now he turned out to be whatever, you know, like everyone else, but he was better than the other guy. He was downed at a convention. Mike Lee downed an incumbent. I mean, very, in the entire century, only like two incumbent Republicans have been downed in a primary and went on to win the general election. Mike Lee was one of them. Now, I, I don't think he's the end all, but again, you know, he was a lot better than the guy they had. And uh, it was Bennett, who was literally a Democrat. So... You had Mitt Romney run in 2018. Now, you're not going to get anyone with more name ID than Mitt Romney. You have a guy who is the presidential nominee run as a Senate candidate. Well, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, how do you beat a guy like that? The, the money, the name ID, the personal wealth, the connections, LDS Church. I mean, how do you beat a guy like that in Utah? Um, and everyone knows that he wound up winning, and he is, you know, just fragging us and throwing f carpet carpet bombing us to this day. And by the way, Trump endorsed him stupidly. But people forget there was actually another point to that. Okay, there was another point. There was another another step to that process. A lot of people are unaware of. Okay. So Utah, as I mentioned, they still had a, you know, a convention. And they still do to this day, but they gutted it in the sense that they have the convention. They hold a, a vote who's going to be the nominee for the party, the party activists pick it. But you could easily bypass it now. They, they changed the rules because they, they weren't stupid, but we need to work to change it back that – Nope. If you lose the convention, you could still get petitions, you know, just like you get on the ballot, enough petition signatures to get on the ballot. And there you go. This is it. 
you are going to be the nominee. Or you at least force a primary. There was a man named Mike Kennedy. No one ever heard of him, okay? He was a random Utah state senator. Okay, random le- state legislator. Okay, it's, it's literally David and Goliath. Him versus Mitt Romney. Okay? They had a convention. Do you know that Mike Kennedy won the convention? Okay, and that was like, usually you don't have such asymmetry like that. <laughs> Mitt Romney and, and Mike Kennedy. Mike Kennedy won the convention. But again, at that point, they had already changed the rules, and they probably changed it for Mitt Romney. And he was like, screw that, went to primary, easily got the signatures, and he Mitt Romney won 71 to 29%. That's the story. People just don't get it. The framers didn't want direct democracy. The people deciding directly means the elites deciding, the manipulators deciding. We need to go to conventions. Now, I don't know all the state legalities. In some states, it clearly is in statute, meaning that you need to go in the state legislature and have the legislature and governor agree to change the law because the law would mandate a popular primary. But I was speaking to a friend of mine in the Alabama legislature and he wasn't 100% sure. He's pretty sure it's party rules. Meaning the, the difference is a lot of the party activists were, were, were changing the party activists more. So if, if at all it takes the party vote, you could change it. And boom, you go to, you go to convention. Um, if it takes a statutory change, it's a little bit harder because that would require the incumbent legislators and governor to agree to it. And that would basically, the majority of them are usually jerks and they, they could not win a convention. So that's, it's kind of like the old thing of how do you pass term limits with the existing, you know, so you'd have to do it, you know, not retroactive to the ones already, you know, you'd have to grandfather them in, even though we don't want to, but, you know, they'll never vote for it. So I don't know, I have to research that, but it's something we have to work towards, especially if it only takes a party change. Now, again, you are going to run up against even our own people. It sounds very anti-populist. Oh, you're taking away my vote, the primary. You have to explain it that no, you get to have a town hall, get your voices heard, elect someone you know to represent you. It's not just like, it's not smoke-filled rooms. It doesn't have to be that way. And you could structure it in that way um, and make it very participatory the way our founders envisioned. That it's the party activists. A, a, a lot of people I know will make the wrong decisions. I have a friend of mine who just said to me, oh, you know, Tim Scott seems good. He, maybe he should run for president. And it was very innocent. He just, he, he, didn't, he didn't know. He, didn't, he doesn't know his history. Sounds good. The black conservative thing, his life story. And he buys into it. But he knows that I know what's going on. Hey, Daniel, you go to the convention and vote for me. These are the type of, I, I didn't mean to spend this much time on it today, but these are the type of ideas we need to point the ship. If you would do that, you would change the country, change the world. But most importantly, at least change your states and your localities, and that's all we need. And then all of the things we want to pass in the legislatures on digital privacy, medical freedom, the, the illegal immigration, crime, um, grooming, interposing against the feds, every important thing that we want to do would be a hundred times easier to pass. So again, that's kind of the presentation for today. How to elect candidates, actually get it, how to stay focused on the issues that matter, the strategies that matter. Have a lot in my um, docket here that I didn't get a chance to get to, but uh, um, I, I do want to get to our guest. So speaking of pointing this ship in the right direction, again, we talk about the fact that because we don't have state conventions, we have these popular primaries, how many candidates do we get each cycle that actually have their the bow of the ship pointed right there, the lighthouse is there, this is where we need to get, and have a rudder to get there? Okay, very few. You could count on your on one hand the candidates that are even speaking our language, I mean, even in a primary, um, 
it's it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. They get distracted. They don't call the plays as they should the time it happens and the way it matters, the issues that matter. So with us today is one of the few candidates that does. Some of you already are aware of him. If not, you should be. Um, Anthony Sabatini. He's a state legislator in Florida, uh, roughly northeast of Orlando area near Volusia County. And he is running for Congress in Florida's 7th Congressional District. Um, this is someone, he's, he's been in the military, he has been in local government, so very much what we're talking about today, fighters at a local level, um, city government, state legislative government, and now he wants to run for federal office, we'll give him a little bit of a hard time with that, but he actually, every time something happens, he's on message, boom, this is what we need to do, so I didn't get a chance to play it yet, but he caused a whole uproar with CNN when they said, wait, you, you actually mean you when you say we're going to abolish the FBI? He's like, yeah, it's, exactly. And he not only abolished the FBI, but he called for states interposing and saying, hey, you cannot do that in the state. COVID, boom, he was the only one on message. Everyone else is like, well, I don't really like mandates. He's like, no, this is a freaking genocide. What Pfizer is doing, what this whole thing, the whole premise and it's like, man, we can't find candidates like that. So, Anthony, thanks so much for joining us today. And what hole do you crawl out of? <laughs> well, today I'm working at my desk, catching up on catching up on things. But it's an honor to be on the show. I've been a big fan a long time. So, thanks for uh, having me on. We think alike, and it's good to good to connect. I know it's pretty crazy today. So, I actually got Anthony bumped from Steve Bannon's show because I had to start my segment with him so that I could start the show so that I could have Anthony on my show. So, everyone wants him today. Um, and I think part of that is because while there's not a single conservative in this space that, you know, elected or media personality that's not like, oh, it's terrible, the FBI, Trump raids, got Perry seizure of his phone, but they're not saying exactly, they're all a little bit off message. What is your message on this FBI raid, and how does that speak to your candidacy? Well, my message is very, very clear, and it's based on one thing, which is that Republicans need to stop talking about how they feel and start talking about their plans. They need an actionable plan, and then they need a pledge to actually try to enact that plan. So for me, uh, I'm still, you know, just, you know, for your listeners, I'm a state elected official. I'm running for U.S. Congress, so I talk a lot about what the federal side needs to do. But I also talk a lot about what Republican states can do in the meantime. So as a state legislator right, legislator right now, obviously, my constituents want me to talk about what I think needs to happen. So I outlined a two-step plan. The first step of that plan is very easy. It's overdue. It's ridiculous. We haven't done it already. And it needs to happen immediately. We need an emergency legislative session to get it done. The second part is a little more controversial. The first part says sever all ties with DOJ immediately at the state level. What that means for those who don't know, sheriffs, police chiefs, cities, counties, tax collectors, clerks of court, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement or whatever state law enforcement you have, depending on your state, all have relationships already with the FBI, with various law enforcement agencies at the federal level. They have uh, uh, financial relationships. They have shared space, shared jail space. They do task force together, all types of agreements. They train together. If the state stood up and said, we're no longer going to communicate with you, recognize your jurisdiction, work with you, give you money, anything, that's a huge blow to federal power, uh, administrative power that you can easily take. And that's overdue. We should have done that weeks ago. I actually called for a similar idea when the Capitol Police, U.S. Capitol Police, yes. was coming into Florida. They opened up two field offices, and I started calling for it about a year ago. So that's, that's number one. Number two, more con controversial, but we're living in crazy times. It's, it's something that needs to happen. We need to pass a statute that reasserts the Tenth Amendment and say we will not recognize the authority of these federal law enforcement, so-called law enforcement agencies, to conduct law enforcement operations in our state without state permission. So if there was some federal agency that was doing something valid, let's say it was human trafficking, et cetera, of course, they're not interested in those types of things anymore. No. Uh, you know, a red state could say, OK, cool, you know, we have no issue with that. But if your entire goal is to harass parents at school board meetings or harass the former president in his home, et cetera, you will be treated as a trespasser in the eyes of the state. And uh, I think these DOJ, these lawless Law enforcement officers who are conducting this political harassment ought to be arrested. Of course, that's a much bigger step 
than the first one. The first one should have been done already. The second one needs to happen or things are going to get worse from here. Man, you're just repeating yesterday's show. I mean, it's crazy that the two of us are the only ones who seem to hone in on exactly those points. And you're right. We've both been calling for that. I know, you know, Trump's a big supporter of yours. You're a big supporter of his. He, you know, he's backing your candidacy. Um, but, you know, I mean, life existed before him. And there were a lot of people that really it's it's terrible. These people that were army veterans and they don't have money for attorneys even. And they were, you know, this has been going on for a year and a half. And, and too many of our colleagues didn't really care about it. So you're right. This needs to be done beforehand. Um so I'm going to give you a hard time here because I know you could handle it. Uh, see, a lot of uh, – I think we already know where you stand. Like, we, you get it. So the problem is this. If you get it the way I get it, why would you run for Congress? Meaning, aren't you more powerful as a legislator with DeSantis as governor? You have trifecta control there. And we all agree, I mean, I know you agree with me, that you're not going to fix DOJ and fix HHS and fix the federal system and fix the blue states and the, and, and all that. It's it's a maggot-infested carcass, stage five cancer. It's not, I mean, it's done. It, it, the best you can do is possibly try to save red areas. So I always tell friends of mine that, that are like you in a state legislative body, you guys are more powerful as a state legislator than a congressman. We would have never said that before. Why would you run like like you'll be one of, you know, 435, 230 Republicans, let's say, you know, hypothetically, uh, a rhino leadership and maybe 15 to 30 good guys. Like, what do you what do you expect to accomplish? Sure. Well, I have basically two things. Two things I usually say when I'm asked that question, which is quite a bit, right? Because I'm in a Republican state with Republican good conservative leadership here in the state of Florida. There's two things that come to mind when, when, when people make that. Number one, I say, you know, the reason these congressmen don't have power is they're not willing to use power. But if we can grow this base caucus, this sort of conservative America first constitutional caucus, your Thomas Massey types, which – I agree. Uh, I think it's really about something between, you know, being generous here, 15 to 20 people. If we can grow that true America first, hardcore constitutional freedom loving caucus within the Republican caucus, then I think the Republican Party as a whole can be much more effective. And I'm somebody that's going to do that. I'm the only guy that is committed to being a true, true constitutional conservative in Congress versus the other guys who are running, which are a lot of the deadbeat kind of talking points, not not really looking to do action. <laughs> of course, just want to be told what to do by the leadership of the Republican Party when they get there, et cetera. So that, that's an important thing to do. And this was an open seat uh, with redistricting. If I didn't run, I can guarantee you it would go to a, a sort of moderate pushover empty suit Republican. So I wouldn't let that happen. But secondly, and this is very important, a little more uh, – nerdy, but it, 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 it's, it's a very important point to make. The pulpit that a congressman has is still really, really big. Mm. And using that pulpit for things that are really important, like trying to change the messaging of the party, gives you power. And so the reason I bring that up is I say, you know, I'm not really leaving Florida in the Florida legislature, but as a sitting congressman, I will have a pulpit much bigger and more effective in order to start yielding primary elections against sitting Republicans who don't think the way we do. So as a congressman, I'll still be intimately involved in what's happening in the state legislature by constantly recruiting and helping run people like us uh, to go run. I always tell people the hardest thing in politics is the same as sports or business. It's a recruitment, recruiting talented people. It's extremely difficult, extremely difficult. But that's not just true politics. It's everything, right? Sports, business, whatever, what have you. So, so, but as a congressman, I will be actively trying to recruit more people into the state legislature who are like me, because the truth is, I'm definitely like one wing of the state legislature, right? Like it's not, we don't have enough people in the state legislature. We just happen to be lucky enough to have a former Freedom Caucus member who, who took over as governor. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what's made Florida yeah, to great. Talk about that for our listeners. So everyone knows when they think of Florida, they think of DeSantis. My sister just moved there from Maryland in part because of... Uh, because of the governor, and you know, a lot of people are. But describe that legislature there. So, so you know, I, I want to just say, like, if I didn't know anything about Florida, I'd say, wow, you have a governor that's not only great, but he's also winning politically. Like, the Democrat Party there is just like, 
nuked. I mean, the Nikki Freed stuff, like she had to run for governor just because they would have lost the final seat they hold, you know, the ag, ag commissioner. I mean, and they had to file for PPP funding because they're like bankrupt. I mean, I mean, they're, they're like destroyed. So you would think, oh my God, that legislature is like, man, you just got to ride his coattails and just go all out against COVID fascism, interpose. I mean, I mean, you're like, you're winning, you're winning economically, you're winning, like, it's not just you're winning politically. People are moving there because of it. People, I, I speak to people in other countries. They all know about Florida and the whole dynamic and everything. But fill in the blank. What's going on with that Republican legislature? Yeah, so I will tell you, you know, this state legislature is actually very similar. They, they won't tell this story about themselves, but they're really, I watch all 50 states. They're very similar to most state legislatures. They have their, 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 dominated by the old doctrine of the Republican Party, the Bush era of the Republican Party. They don't understand the new threats. They see themselves as just a handmaiden of you know, the Chamber of Commerce, whatever. They're not really interested in conservative reform and preserving the republic, not, not on their mind whatsoever. But what they are also is somewhat willing to follow popular political figures. And so now that we have this constitutional conservative, super freedom-loving, uh, you know, uh, former Freedom Caucus member Governor Ron DeSantis, they're willing to follow him. This legislature, had we had DeSantis lost his primary, we had a super moderate, this guy named Adam Putnam, who ran against him years ago, who was a total center-of-the-road guy, very close to George Bush and Mike Pence. Uh, you know, it would have been a different, it would have been a different uh, type of uh, time period in the state of Florida. But so they just, you know, they follow, they listen to who's at charge. But the, but the structure of the legislature is, is identical almost to Congress. You have a few Few true freedom-loving, you know, conservatives on one side. You got some very liberal rhinos on the other, and then you have just a happy middle. The people that sort of aimless, purposelessness, follow the leader. You know, whoever's telling them what to do is generally what they're going to so, do. So these they, people they are not frothing at the mouth over COVID fascism. Exactly. No, they're just sitting around waiting to be told what to do. I mean, for example, like during in the state capitol. This is after I started as a in my private capacity as an attorney suing all the cities and counties in Florida that had mask mandates. This was a legislature that continued to wear masks and had a mask mandate in the state capitol. Fun fact, actually, the only two people in the state capitol who refused to wear masks were me and Governor DeSantis. He never wore <laughs> one either. But, but you know, they just follow the leader. But guess what? That works in this situation because you have DeSantis at the helm. So they're willing to follow him into battle, which is great. They're not resisting what he's doing, and he's getting more power every day in the legislature, which is great. But most, but they're identical to most legislatures, stuck in the past, not not vicious or you know, uh, not aiming for new fights and and new and, and and to meet the enemy, meet the new threats to liberty on the field in which they're trying to perform. Which, as I think we've spoke before about, is now mostly in the private sector. Uh, they're not interested in trying to meet the. Uh, those new threats where they stand. I'd rather just continue to talk about cutting woke Disney's taxes or something like that. So I, I like the way you're framing it. You answer my question basically, as I say, you're not just a, a vote, you're a voice. So as far as a vote, yeah, I mean, the left has a 98 to 2 majority in the Senate and, uh, you know, whatever in the House. I mean, we're nowhere close to ever whatever, you know, getting anything at least conventionally. But what you're saying is the important thing is not so much do they win 230 seats, do they win 250? It's do we win 10 seats, 15, 20, 25? Because just those few make that difference in maybe directing the state strategies or at least federally trying to harness uh, an inflection point to push through the idea. So what are some of those inflection points you want to push? What are some of those priorities that you want to come in there, either legislation to introduce, maybe it won't get passed, but to harness that debate? Well, I think some of the ones that uh, have been talked about for years to be cliche are still the most important. I think finishing the wall and actually having a uh, completely and totally sealed border and using E-Verify and other methods to stop illegal immigration, I think is still a top issue. I think breaking up big tech, or at least at least uh, 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 drastically reforming Section 230 to basically yeah. make it that they can't engage in censorship, is a really key issue. Um, I think draining the swamp, and you know, to to use the famous phrase, draining the swamp and beating the deep state is really key. But what does that actually mean uh, above the slogan? It means firing and peeling back so much of the administrative law and administrative state that exists presently. So when people say to me, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're calling for the defunding and shutting down the FBI based on this Mar-a-Lago raid. It's like, uh, folks, I actually kind of 
uh, believe that beforehand. <laughs> so like now it's like you're just, well, there's even more reasons to do it. But the truth is having these roving agencies, with in this case, a so-called law enforcement agency, but these various agencies that come into every aspect of our lives still needs to be a major part of the Republican Party, peeling that back and giving power back to the state. So, you know, these sort of things that have been talked about for a long time could need to happen. And uh, it, it, there's still just the ma- major items for the Republican Party that have been totally ignored. So what about COVID fascism? I mean, you the, the issue of our time in many respects is vaccines because that's the yep. transhumanism. That's how they control your body in the most intimate way, but also, the, I mean, shockingly, the most lethal way. It's not just the COVID vaccine. The monkeypox vaccine is insane. The more we find out there's other of them. I mean, the more we're just peeling back the layers, it's cr- crazy. They have tons more coming down. Um, this is, I mean, even if government didn't mandate, which there's still tons of that in place, just the funding, sh- marketing, distributing, involvement in it, and absolvement of liability Republicans will not touch that, but that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Uh, do you have plans you're, to kind of work with others on that? You're exactly right, and it's a major, major part of what I want to do. It's one of the reasons why, for Congress, I'm endorsed by Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. I mean, I, I, I want to scale back so much of what the United States government's doing and what they call, quote-unquote, public health. The CDC cutting ties with the WHO, but cutting the CDC's funding and, and just getting the government out of this new method of control. You know, they call it public health, but it's just finding ways to control more aspects, you know, much more significant aspect of our life that so many people turned a blind eye to. It's what actually kind of uh, made me a lot more, I guess you could say, well-known throughout the state of Florida was fighting the COVID tyranny from day one. I was probably the first elected official to to speak out against school closures, um, in addition to lockdowns and mask mandates and everything else from day one, because there was no there was no science that it was based on. So no, it'll be a top priority of mine. I'm a hundred percent vaccine freedom guy here in the state of Florida. I filed first and helped pass the eventual bill that banned the state's ability to mandate a vaccine. That was a an actual law that existed in Florida that was created during the Bush era, Jeb Bush era, that is. And uh, uh, Governor Sanders repealed that, and I also helped push a bill that didn't go as far as I wanted it to, but was the first big step in stopping private sector vaccine mandates here in the state of Florida and largely did still needed to be much strengthened and, and to make, you know, to make this idea more tangible, what I would say is I'd be in favor of a sort of bill of rights that protects people's medical freedom in the private or public sector to the strongest degree, you know, making it that court would have, they'd have to basically reach strict scrutiny in court before they could ever uh, infringe upon somebody's, you know, medical freedom, if, if not just ever, maybe just a straight blank uh, prohibition on it. But the truth is, it's going to be a major issue for me. It's one of the things that I've worked on the most for the last two years, and I plan to continue to work on that subject area when I get to Congress. So two quick things here before I let you go. Um, you know this is going to happen. So you come up there, and McCarthy will allow some good standalone bills although on certain issues. So, for, for example, he won't even do a standalone bill knowing it will die in the Senate on repealing the immunity of, of Big Pharma. Like that, we know they won't even do, and we have to try to force that issue. But what they're going to do is they're going to pass a budget. And they'll say, look, we're going to do all 12 appropriate bills independently. Okay, and, and the House probably will, will do that because um, they've done that before to pass each one independently. Okay, fine. They go to the Senate. And let's say we get enough of our priorities in them. Obviously, the Senate, you know, again, 98 to 95.5, if you want to be generous, you know, liberal majority, um, not going anywhere, Biden's still president. Then you have, I'm, I'm just going to make it up here. So let's say September 30th is the budget. They pass a CR. Let's say it goes to March 15th of 2023. Okay, you come in in January as a member and we have this fight. Actually, the truth is this would be even the next fiscal year because they'll just, whatever, make an excuse. But you get my point. In the lead up to yeah. it, okay, you're a week before, and they're like, oh, um, Anthony, look, we can't have a government shutdown. We have to agree to pass uh, their next CR or omnibus or whatever, um, or they'll call it something else because, well, we tried. But but look, Anthony, you see, we, we, we look how good of a budget we did. 
It passed the House. Vote for us in 2024. Then we'll get the Senate and the presidency. <laughs> and then they'll forget to tell you they won't have 60 votes. So the Dems will still filibuster, unlike Republicans who don't. But whatever. So, but, but, you know, so therefore, I mean, we've lived this. I have nightmares. I mean, we've lived this for 12 years on this since 2010. How, what's your plan to try to work with, with others to break that? Uh, well, uh, we've seen this movie before. The Republicans always cave. I won't cave. I mean, I've pledged many times I will not be funding tyranny. I will not be voting for a budget uh, or any kind of continuing resolution that gives money to tyrannical, unconstitutional things happening within the Repub- federal government. I like to use persuasion and influence to get others to think my way. If that fails, oh well, but I'm not going to vote against what I know to be right and legal. And so um, I will be voting against any budget that includes, you know, money for 87,000 IRS agents or a CDC run amok or any other insane element of the government. It only gets worse from here. If we're not willing to stand up to the tyranny today, Lord knows where the tyranny is going to be next year or in 2024, 26, 28. So uh, I will not be voting for any of that. Um, okay. So now – and I want to make it clear, like, you know, these are tough questions I'm asking you. There are no good answers because you could only do what you can do. And the, the point is we need more like that. And that's where we're talking about strategies, you know, with, with state conventions and how to change the primary system, get more people like you. Um, but I know I know you are strong enough to handle these. So I'm going to give you one more question that's also a little bit thorny from where, you know, you, you're coming from where I'm coming from. Um I was one of the advocates early on for the creation of the Freedom Caucus. I actually gave the blueprint for the idea because back then you had the Republican Study Committee. You still do, actually, um, which was the Conservative Caucus. But then everyone joined it. So it's like the majority, literally the majority of the members. And it became it became a joke. So, OK, you started Freedom Caucus, which was, let's say, smaller, 30 to 40 members uh, kind of ranges. OK. Do you think as an institution, the Freedom Caucus has been an effective tool and what do you think could possibly be done um, and that you would be a part of to make it more effective both internally and externally? Yeah, I think historically it's been effective. I think it's becoming deadened. It's becoming what the RSC was, right? RSC, the Republican Study Committee was the conservative group, and then it wasn't, and then the Freedom Caucus emerged, and guess what? Now the Freedom Caucus is becoming kind of weak. In fact, I've seen some of the votes that their so-called members or Freedom members have made in the last few months, and I'm just – this is when we're in the minority. They're making bad votes. Imagine what they're going to do when they're in the majority. So I don't, I don't know what to do with them. I, I do know that they're capable, capable of being reformed. I think they're the best caucus in terms of the principles. I, will, I plan to join and be a member of the Freedom Caucus and help push it in a stronger – direction. I mean, what I really want to do is get in there and make the uh, Freedom Caucus truly a much more disciplinarian organization that's going to really work to hold the Republican leadership accountable. I don't think they're really doing that anymore. Yeah, and I think a big part of the problem is, to me, is the Freedom Caucus is like a starting point. If you're not part of that, then that tells me, I mean, they're they're literally just like off the wall. Unless you're like a Thomas Massey, who's just he's just independent. He's technically not a member of it, you know, and, and he has his own reasons for that. And he's better than the Freedom Caucus. But what I'm saying is that, OK, then you're a fraud. So these guys are genuinely they're usually good guys. They're good. I think they, they, they share our values. But what I'm noticing is that a lot of them it's they don't know what time it is. If if you educate them on it, I think they'll they'll understand it. But it's still kind of like cut taxes, oppose abortion, and I'm for guns. You know, like kind of that mentality. And they're not like like most of them don't understand the Pfizer genocide and 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 the and the broader implication of COVID. You know where it came from, who was behind it, where it's headed, the magnitude of what it, what was done. Not just like yeah, they kind of had some overreach and some stupid things they did, and Fauci's an idiot like that. They all get, but is that is that what you know your your uh, perception of the Freedom Caucus members or or a number of them? Some, yeah, because it grew so much. Remember, the Freedom Caucus, as you know probably better than anybody, started out when it was seven or nine or 12 people, then it was 20, then it's 30. Today, it's, you know, purportedly, it's something like 45 people. So, But what do you really have? You have 20 that are legitimate, and then you have about 20 or 25 that 
ostensibly members. I've been to two or three meetings of the Freedom Caucus, and literally only half of them are actually there at the meeting. So, I mean, that literally says everything you need to know. They don't even go to the meetings. There are people that are just, they want the title. Hey, I'm a Freedom Caucus guy. Not really. I'm not going to vote with them on everything. I'm still going to go against uh, most of their principles, knowing that they're not going to whip me on a vote against the the corrupt Republican leadership. But I'm still a member, so I can tell people I'm based. So, no, I mean, we just need to, you know, change it, change it in a better way. Yeah, and, and and I like that term based as opposed to debased because again the term of conservative has gotten debased and it really has lost its meaning because everyone's conservative except nobody is, and I think, you know, again I am very down on the federal system and everyone knows I I I joke around I wouldn't even field a presidential candidate if we were doing what we should be doing in the states go have it and we'll do what we want but. I do think you are right in the sense that it's not quantity but quality. It's not a matter of the 218, but if you get a few dozen and then you organize a better group that becomes an institution in the sense that you use every point of leverage, educate people, be very smart and articulate about the data, about the issues, and then you do external public relations and really, really work it hard – it, it only what we're learning is it only takes a few people. Look at what one governor did. I say all the time, imagine what the country would look like if you took the 15 reddest states, take the Trump margins fit. And, and it's so easy. The Idaho, the Dakotas and, you know, Nebraska and Wyoming and Alabama and right. Texas, Oklahoma. And, and we had a DeSantis from each one. DeSantis himself would be 10 times better. Right. The synergistic effect where you're not on a limb, you're not one guy, you know, out on a limb. Um, the only guy who will even question, like, maybe the vaccines aren't all they're up to be. There's a lot more we can do. Give you the last word and where people could find out to help your campaign because the race is still, you know, still pretty close. Yep. Well, I mean, uh, uh, the race is still close. Uh, most recent poll had me up seven and uh, in a crowded primary, that's a pretty good lead. But uh, the leadership of the Republican Party does not want another uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Thomas Massey up there who have both endorsed me. And so all of a sudden, 750,000 dark money just showed up in the in the district on TV, digital, uh, mail, radio, everything you can imagine. It's pretty interesting. But, you know, we're still winning. Um, anybody who wants to help can check out the website at sabatiniforcongress.com. And, of course, I'm on every social media platform, literally everyone, at Anthony Sabatini. You squish. How did you not get canned like me from Twitter? Hey. <laughs> I've been suspended many times, but for whatever reason, they've always been temporary. I've never actually <laughs> been permanently banned yet. I'm sure the day is coming. It'll be a matter of time. So. Klaus Schwab will get a better AI against uh, you know the algorithm. All righty. Well, thanks for what you do, and good luck. Looking forward to speaking to you on the other side of uh, next. It's a week from Tuesday's primary. Take care. So that was uh, representative or state representative Anthony Sabatini, who is hopefully going to be a federal rep. And and I think this was a pretty good presentation of the balance that mainly want to focus on the state, but at least messaging wise, I think he understands you're not going to change Washington per se, but it's the platform that he's trying to harness. And I think he gave a pretty good answer there. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at him and then you look at everyone else and you're like, oh, Okay, why can't we have that? And again, getting back to the beginning of the show, if you have state conventions, you will change this overnight. I'm, I'm telling you, that is something we all need to work very hard. I need to spend more time on it. And, and, and that's the thing. The Rise of the Fourth Reich is not just a book, a memoir, like, oh, this is my story. It, it's not that at all. It's a bunch of things. And one of them is a blueprint. And I'm already working on the blueprint in a number of the states trying to implement some of these ideas to reaffirm Nuremberg, the the trial and the code, and reaffirm human rights, reset the Great Reset, uh, build barriers, build sanctuaries against the onslaught that we know is coming and roll back what already came. It's a matter of being focused on what matters and the way it matters at the time it matters and therefore crafting the solutions that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. And that's all I ask. It's not It's not that hard. Um, some people have better ideas, but at least try to do that. And, and you guys 
you know, can email me as always. Great ideas. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. I'm on Telegram C19 Truth Bombs. We have comments up now. I finally learned how to use that. Um, so make sure to follow me there. And again, trialsandexecution.com. Uh, or just Google, you know, Daniel Horowitz, Steve Davis, Rise of the Fourth Reich on Amazon. Get your pre-order. Keep us the top political book. Make this issue not go away. And make sure to download the first chapter, which is the opening argument in the trial against what occurred to us. Um, arm yourselves with that argument, really, to give over to your friends and everyone. Please, please. Five-star rating on iTunes will make this show speak over the clamor. Um, no one else does this. And I, I wish I would have gotten to some of the news of the day, but time flies when you're having fun. Sometimes you got to go over strategy, philosophy. We're going to try to do it all. Limited time during day, a day. Humans are precious commodities. Time is a precious commodity. It is our job as humans to use our you know limited time on this earth for what actually matters. Thank you, guys for making me keeping me on my toes making me at least relevant to try to make a difference uh, as you well know no one else is helping me on a one man show so without you guys I'd be nothing so keep this up we had a terrific week hopefully you guys have a restful weekend we'll see you back on the other side same time same place God bless y'all and thank you for listening